Father, we thank you that you've said that it's the enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy, Lord, but you came to give life. Lord, that we might have life and that we can have it more abundantly, Lord. And Father, we, we ask you for that, Lord, for the people of Nepal now in the name of Jesus, Father. God, we ask, Lord, that your, that your goodness, God, and your glory would be revealed, Father, even in the midst of this tragedy, Father, in Jesus' name. God, we, we just command your blessing now, Lord, over, over every, yeah, every aid mission, every rescue mission, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would that you would bless the hands, God, that are that are at work to rescue people's lives, God. That you would that you would strengthen their hands, in Jesus' name. Give them courage, Father. Give them hope, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just come against hopelessness now. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you, Lord, that there there are no hopeless situations. People can sometimes lose hope, Lord, but no situation is too big for you, Father. And so we just declare that there is hope for every family, for every person, Lord, in the nation of Nepal, God, and the surrounding areas that have been affected, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, we, Lord, we, we pray, God, that you would raise up your church, Lord, in that nation to be a beacon of light. In the name of Jesus, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so much, much of what I'm wanting to share today is actually sort of based on, on what we've experienced and, and what we saw when we went to Nepal. There was, there was a team of, of eight of us. I almost said about eight. That would have been funny. There was a team of eight of us, um, and we, we went there to, do, to present a, a conference to, to some leaders, about 200, as Yvette was sharing. And... God just blew our minds in, in so many ways and on, and on so many levels. And, and I really have an expectation that, that what, he has, what he has done over there and also inside of us can be you know, imparted and, and brought back with us. So I've, I've entitled the message for this morning, Help for Our Unbelief. And the main scripture is, is found in Matthew chapter 17. And uh, it's a story of how... Jesus took James, John, and Peter up, up the mountain, and there he was, he was transfigured on the mountain and, and glorified, and, and God the Father spoke from heaven, and only, the, only those three disciples were, were there to witness it. And then when they came back down, they arrived where the other nine disciples had been, had been staying, in the, and they found, found that a crowd had gathered. Somebody had brought their, their son to the disciples, he was an epileptic and he had suffered greatly, and and he'd asked the disciples to pray for him and to and to to heal him and to cast out the demon, but it, but they couldn't, and so there was a crowd and they were busy arguing when, when Jesus arrives, and I just want to start off. We're gonna we're gonna investigate the the whole story in a bit of depth, but after afterwards, when Jesus had now cast out the demon and, and healed the boy. The disciples came to Jesus privately and, and they asked, why could we not cast it out? And then Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. And, it, it's, and it's the same concept. Jesus also spoke about the faith like a mustard seed and mountains moving at, you know, at, different, at different times during, during his ministry. And 
we all know that faith is important. I mean, we, we get that. If you've, I think if you've been in church a couple of times or, or, or you know anything about the Bible, then you understand faith is important. But what am I meant to believe? And what is my faith meant to achieve? Has anybody ever, ever struggled with or just wondered about those questions? What, what does it mean to have faith? And, um, and I'm just wanting to share a couple of, a couple of keys that I believe are, are going are gonna to unlock faith in our hearts. I was so blessed by the word that Rion shared about, about the wall of fear because the opposite of faith is fear. And, and I really feel that that is God's agenda today is to, is to remove walls and, and to unlock our inherent ability to have faith and to believe because the, the ability to, to believe is inherent. God has given each one of us a measure of faith. And it's, it's interesting when we look at it, how Jesus was always, you know, he, was, he tried to make it so clear that faith is easy. He said, faith, a child can do it. And faith, you know, a little bit like a mustard seed, that's enough. You don't even have to stress about whether you've got a lot. All you need is a little bit, as long as it's not zero. And, uh, and sometimes Jesus would actually just marvel at our ability to, to register zero on the faith scale. So I'm really excited. I feel that, that, that God is, is something that's going to change our lives and change the way that we relate to his word and to the world outside. But I just want, we just need to, we need to give it some context because it's, a, it's really a wide, it's a wide topic. And just thinking about this week that went by, you, you know, I was, I was expecting to, you know, to be able to stand here and talk about, yo, what a week. I'm sure many of our Facebook timelines were flooded with all sorts of, um, you know, stories of, of, of terrible tragedy. And, and now yesterday this, this, this earthquake happened. So if, if you just randomly talk about tragedy today, you're not even sure that people will know which one you're referring to. It's just been such a rough week. And, and I, I kind of sort of read through my Facebook timeline and, and sometimes... I feel like I just want to hang my head and sigh. But it's not really so much about the, you know, the terrible things that happen and in the, you know, the terrible things that people, that people say in response. It's, there's, there's something in me that's, that just believes that the answer is not as simple as we, as we try, try to make it. We, we think about our country. I couldn't help but notice... Trevor Noah was on TV quite a lot yesterday. I don't know, don't know if anybody was, was watching that. But he loves to make fun of, of stupid people. And, uh, and, you know, you think about our country, and, and a, a, lot of, a lot of us seem to think that the, the problem with our country and with the world is that there are too many stupid people. If we could just get rid of the stupid people and get people to do the job properly, then things would go a lot better. Now, if, if that's the case... Then, then surely, surely we, we are faced with a massive problem because in, in Afrikaans, you know, we, we used to say, we still say, you know, there, there's nothing you can take to fix it. But I, I want to hold before you that the problem with the world today is not that there are too many dumb people in, you know, in positions of importance. 
The problem with the world today is that there are too many broken people. And, and that, is, that is why they make the decisions what, that, that they make. You know, sometimes you read about this and that, and uh, this guy said that, and this guy decided that, and you think, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But the problem is not their intelligence or their, their competence. The problem is that they are not whole. And, and the good news this morning is that that's a problem that is solvable. Because Jesus said that he came and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him because he anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, to, he, to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And that same anointing is actually given to each one of us. So before we start talking about faith too much, I need you to understand that faith needs a context, and that context is God's agenda. And God's agenda is that our world desperately needs you, and it desperately needs me, because we, we hold the key. We carry the anointing upon us that can heal their broken hearts and set them free. And I really believe that what is coming in this country is, is a revival. You see, we don't, we don't need a, a patch-up or a, or a revolution. We, we need a revival, like what happened in the book of Acts, where the apostles went all over the world, and when they, where they arrived, you'll, you'll see the, the people, you know, they up in arms. Those who have turned the world upside down, they've come here as well. So the, the apostles were known for turning the world upside down. And, the, and we need to understand that they didn't do it by going around and convincing people to, to adopt a new faith or a new religion. What they did is, is they went around demonstrating the kingdom of God, and people would come, sometimes even running, saying, what, what must I do to be saved? And then they would tell them. And... Uh, that is, that is God's agenda. So when we talk about faith, it is within the context of, have I aligned my life and my dreams and my desires with, with God's agenda? Because God, God's desire is for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. One of the, one of the words that we had when we were praying for, for Nepal before we went there, um, we, we were aware that there's something like 240 ethnic groups just within Nepal, of which more than 150 have never been reached with the gospel. And as we were praying, God was just saying to us that, it might, it might sound funny, but he said, Jesus is a Jew, and he's a shrewd, shrewd businessman. That transaction at the cross of Calvary, he's going to make sure that he gets value for money. He's not just going to let people slide. If there are thousands of people living in, in India, China. Basically, the whole world lives there, if you have a statistic, statistic mind. Like the, the people that don't live there are almost negligible in numbers. And, yeah, Jesus has paid, he's purchased the price for all of their salvation. That's, that's why he hasn't come back yet. We're living in the last days. He's just extending the last days. And I, I always like to try and explain that with, um, in the year that I was born, the Springboks went to New Zealand and they played three tests and there was a lot of protests and, and so forth. But New Zealand won the first test, we won the second test. Then the third test, I actually can't remember if the scores were level 
or if we were in the lead. But the, but the 80 minutes were up, and the ref just let the game carry on, carry on, carry on, until New Zealand got a penalty, they scored, and then he blew the final whistle. And, and, and they played 13, 13 minutes over time. And obviously, every, everyone was, was up in arms. But in a sense, that, that's what Jesus is doing. He's just saying, time is up. But if I blow the whistle now, there are too many people that will not go to heaven. And so he's just letting, he's letting game time carry on. And, and as a church, we have the privilege of, of getting with his agenda. And I believe that that's what he's doing. So, we're going to start talking about faith now. Just turn to your neighbor and say, your country and the world out there needs you. Because your faith can spark the revival that turns this country on its head. <laughs> some, some nice actions coming with it. I like it. Okay, when, quite a number of years ago, when, when I was a student in, in Stellenbosch, there, there was like a massive culture of, of serenading. So the, so the men's residences would, um, would recruit all the best singers into, into official groups. And they would practice and rehearse it like at least once a week in the off season and like three to five times a week when it's time for, for competition. And, uh, and there was a lot of emphasis on this. And in, in Heisfasser, where, where I was, there was uh, the official group that were called the, the Sailors. And there was an unofficial group called the Pirates. Now, the Pirates, they were typically those guys who didn't have the raw vocal talent to make, you know, to make the cut in the, in the audition for the Sailors. But they, they had this firm and unshakable belief that you can make up for any lack of talent with raw passion and, and taking off your shirt at the opportune time. <laughs> and and faith, faith works in the same way. <laughs> nice, Annette. Faith works in the same way. God honors faith more than he honors talent. And God honors faith more than he honors the rules even. Even his own rules. And the life of Samson, just as an example, it illustrates that. Because we all know that Samson, his strength left him when he cut his hair. But, and it's a little bit of a, he's got a bit of a checkered history, to put it mildly. But he does get listed in the, in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. Um, and, and I believe the reason for that is because he was actually an Old Testament example of New Testament faith. Because Strictly speaking, if God had to apply the rules, he, he should have lost his strength when he picked up the jawbone of a donkey to, to start fighting with the Philistines or when he ate honey out of a, the carcass of the lion. And Scripture doesn't you know, talk about it, but I, f- I find it extremely plausible that the kind of life that he lived with, mixing it up with Philistine women and, and so forth, that he wasn't allowed to drink wine either. I'm, I'm pretty sure... If he was happy to walk around in, in Philistine villages chaffing the ladies, that he would have had a couple of drinks as well. But the Bible doesn't make that clear. But anyway, so technically speaking, he should have lost his strength. That anointing should have left him a lot sooner than it did. So, but it only left him when Delilah cut his hair. Why, why do you think that would be? 
I, I can only tell you what, what I think. I think it's because that's what he believed. And so God was honoring his faith. According to your faith, let it be done to you or done for you. And Jesus said that in the New Testament many, many times. According to your faith, let it be done to you. So Samson is an illustration of how God honors faith more than he even he honors the rules necessarily or, or talent or, or, or whatever. So today, it's not about how, how gifted you think you are or how much talent you have, can I speak, can I speak, none of that. It's all about faith. And like I said, your ability to believe is inherent. Each one of us has been given a measure of faith. So let's go back to the story in Matthew chapter 17. Are we all following? So Jesus and the three disciples on the way down the mountain, from verse 14, it says, When they'd come to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered and said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And uh, I think so- somewhere in the world there is a statue that's been made to commemorate this, this moment. I'm going to try to get a, a picture on it for you there. Where Jesus does a face palm. He says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how, how long shall I bear with you? But let's just, let's just put ourselves into that situation. You are now one of, one of those nine disciples. Jesus, Jesus and, the, and the top three the front ranker, the hooker, and the tight head, um, have gone up onto the mountain, and you've been left behind. And here comes a man, and he's, he's brought his son. His son has suffered for a long, long time, and he wants you to pray for his son to, to, to heal him or to cast a demon out. But not only has he brought his son, he's also brought a bit of a crowd. And if you kind of look behind his back, he seems to have a pair of boxing gloves as well. And, uh, and so you... Say, okay, no problem. Jesus has been through this with us before, so let's, let's pray. Because Jesus has given us the authority to cast our demons. So you pray, and nothing happens. And you say, okay, sometimes Jesus had to even pray more than once. We'll just pray again. You pray, and nothing happens. So you kind of, in the corner of your eye, you, you see this father. Is, he's now you know, lacing up those puppies. He's, he's getting, getting his boxing gloves ready. And... And you, you kind of want to pray and stay focused, but, but you, you just sense your faith levels are plummeting. You think, oh, even, even when I pray now, I've, I've, lost, I've lost hope. I don't think anything's going to happen. It feels like a lost cause. And then eventually you give up, and people are fighting, and, and then Jesus arrives, and he says, and he, and he does the face palm. And let, okay, let's first try to understand what is, who was it aimed at? Or who who was who was the main the main culprit? Because I always used to think that he was talking to the disciples, but the same the same story is also accounted for in the book of Mark. And Jesus was actually speaking to the father of the son, or the, you know, the father of the epileptic suffering son. And then Jesus, in the book of Mark, he says to the father, 
if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So the father came to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you can do anything, please just do something. Have mercy, have pity on us. And then Jesus, he's like a shop owner. If you ask him, um, have you got this thing for me? And then he says, yeah, have you got some currency for me? And then I can, then I can help you. So the father was saying, Jesus, please, can you, can you help my son? If you can do anything, please do so. And then Jesus says, he kind of plays on his words. He says, if you can believe, I can do anything for you. And Jesus addressed his father's unbelief. And immediately the father cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then, and then Jesus healed the boy. He cast out the demon. And afterwards, Jesus also addressed the unbelief of the disciples. So again, what, what I think happened here is the, this father came with unbelief in his heart. The disciples just caught the unbelief from, from the father. And, and when Jesus arrived on the scene, he could, he could see that this was what had happened. He addressed the unbelief in the, in the, in the father's heart, and then, and then he healed the person. It's always, it's always Jesus will for somebody to be healed and set free. Now, it's a little bit like, I think I've gotten to the point where I've begun to understand that God has given us his Holy Spirit, and from his presence, just about anything can be possible. But sometimes you find yourself in a situation where it just seems like either either I don't have faith for this specific thing, or maybe, maybe you start feeling somebody else's gifting was better suited. And you start to think, Yo, I'm sure this person's life could be changed if only Stephen was here, or if only Andre was here, because I've seen them do this thing. I can do other stuff, but uh, they can do this thing. Oh, this person is so unlucky. Um, if, only, if only they'd come to speak to Stephen or Andre or, or whatever. And, and that's just something that, that I felt God has exposed and revealed to us on the, on the, on the mission trip to Nepal, that um, the Holy Spirit, God himself, his presence inside of us is the answer to every, every need that you could ever face in every situation. You don't have to ever despise your own gifting and think that because I've never operated in this area that now I can't help this person. The answer for every situation, every need is within him and he's inside of you and you know how to access it because you know him. You've got a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I want to sort of challenge you with it actually that the only thing that can prevent you from accessing that answer for that situation is when you dim your lamp. Now that's a, it's kind of a new image that we're introducing for this message, but Jesus often spoke about, about lamps in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, if I'm honest, I've, I've looked at the scripture for a long time, over, over many, many years, thinking, Yo, 
if only I knew what he was talking about. Um, because he's, he's saying, okay, no, nobody switches on a lamp but then hides it under a bucket. I've never seen anybody do that. So I, can't really, I couldn't really relate with that, um, with that analogy, with what Jesus was talking about. But I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm getting there now. The, this lamp is each one of us. Each one of us is a lamp. And God has placed his presence, his kingdom of light, inside of us. And this kingdom of light wants to manifest outwards. That's what the lighting of the lamp signifies. So God has placed his spirit inside of us. And, and now his spirit and his kingdom of light wants to manifest outwards. It wants to, it wants to radiate from us. But what we do is we, is we, we quench it and we, and we cover it. And uh, and I've got a I've got another little illustration that I just wanna just wanna show. I think it's the right one. There we go. That's a that's sort of just as I was praying. That's kind of a let's call it a, a diagram of of what I, of what I feel this scripture is actually talking about. See, God has placed His Spirit inside of us, His kingdom of light, and naturally it wants to it wants to radiate light forth out of us. And Jesus is saying, okay, you are this lamp and a city on a hill and you cannot be hidden. Therefore, nor do they light a lamp or put it under a basket but on a lamp stand. So Jesus is saying, so now once you have been saved and filled with my spirit, I'm not going to hide you under a basket. I'm going to put you on a lamp stand because I want you to shine. And nor do I want you to hide your own light. And, and this light, like we said, is, is God's spirit that is placed inside of us. And so essentially, more, more than a lamp, we are, we are each like a mobile bank of floodlights. And there are, and there are at least nine different bulbs in this, in this bank of floodlights. So, and we, we, we know them as the, as the nine gifts of the spirit. And, and sometimes we think that, you know, those are special gifts, and if I'm lucky, I might have one, um, but definitely not the other eight. When essentially what Jesus is actually saying is that I've placed all of my spirit inside of you, and all that my spirit wants to do is it wants to radiate light out of you. And there are different manifestations of the kingdom of light and of the spirit of God that can come out of us, and those are those are nine official ones, but we know there we know there are more. And uh, in First Corinthians chapter twelve, where, where the Apostle Paul talks about the the gift of the Spirit, I'm going to read from verse four. It says there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And then the important word, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So I used, I used to think along the lines that if somebody comes and stands before me and they are in need of physical healing, I used to think, oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah, it's like somebody coming to Batman and saying, I need, I need you to fly me somewhere. And he's like, I can do a couple of things, but I can't, I can't do that. Sorry. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start sharing some, 
just some practical testimonies and illustrations to, to, uh, to illustrate. But, but essentially what, what God has convinced me of is that, is that it doesn't work like that. Because we, we get hung up on the fact that there are these gifts of the Spirit. But the gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit. And it's the same Spirit that's within each one of us. And whatever manifestation of the Spirit is needed to address the situation that you are in, to meet the need of the person that you are ministering to, it is available to you if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, just to, just to get a little bit practical, I'm going to start talking about things that happened when we were in Nepal. Um, there were eight of us, and we, we'd organized uh, a pastor's conference in, in the city of Pokhara, which is it's basically like the Cape Town of Nepal. You, you fly into, into Joburg, and it's noisy and, and polluted and, and, and so forth, and then, you, and then you travel about just over 200 k's by bus to Pokhara, which is next to, next to two beautiful lakes, mountain views, then you then you in Cape Town. It, it just it just took you seven hours on the bus, though. But um, yeah, we, when we got there, the the conference it, it was just so amazing. There, and I think while I speak, Sunil, you can just maybe just scroll through some of the pictures. Those are some of the views that we had. They they had a venue that was easily about a third of the size of this, but it was a conference for two hundred people. And they, they solved the space problem quite easily by just not having any furniture there. Everybody sits on the floor, and the, and the men and the women are separated either side of the aisle. And yeah, so, so we, we got there, and we started ministering on the, on the first day, and God just, you know, it's like God just sovereignly showed up and moved. We, we, afterwards, we were discussing what had happened on the first day. And we just felt like it was almost like we weren't there. It was almost like we weren't involved. We would share a testimony or, or share a message and then invite people to respond to the altar call. And you, you kind of just start opening your mouth to pray for somebody. You haven't even said anything meaningful yet. And then like they would have this encounter with the Holy Spirit. Some people were slain in the Spirit, falling over. And uh, some people were crying. Some people were laughing. And you kind of think, well, God, I haven't even said anything. I, I want to feel a bit more involved in this. And, and, and the whole first day was just like a yeah, holy chaos like that. But the, the people were so blessed and so thankful, and they, and, they really, and they really honored us and received us. And, yeah, after the first day, we were, we were, we were kind of on a, on a high. All of us were able to get to get over the fact that we didn't really feel as involved as we actually, you know, pictured ourselves being. But that was fine as long as God was doing what He wanted to do. That was fine. So on the, on the second day, um, we all woke up, having had a, a terrible night in a very noisy hotel. We we were going to stay in quite a nice hotel, but there was a there was a political strike in in Nepal. Where they, where they basically shut down all the roads, bring the whole country to a standstill. So, so they, they advised us that, that we should go sleep at a place that was walking distance from the, from the venue, which we did, and it wasn't in the touristy area. So the, this hotel was a little bit more nasty, if you, if you can use, use that word. 
and, uh, and so we, we didn't have a great night. We didn't sleep a lot. Um, you've seen every, just about every building in Nepal, on the, on the ground floor, there's a roller shutter door, and there's a shop inside, and then on the, the floors above that is, is where people stay. And uh, I'm still not quite sure what this guy was doing, but at least every half an hour, the roller shutter door was getting opened and closed. So we were, we were really feeling out of it and over it by the next morning. And, and so we, we, we were just standing there before the, before the second day, just saying to God, sure, God, we're not, feeling, we're not feeling up to it. And it was like God just came and he said, no, no, don't worry, this is missions, I've got it. You guys don't have to feel like you're on top of it. And, and God really came and just encouraged us then. And we, uh, we had like a, a short testimony and Liz shared a, a testimony and uh, like really nailed it. And Stephen asked me to, do, to facilitate the altar call after that, which, which I did. And I, I kind of, every, every word, everything that I'd heard from God like that whole day, I kind of emptied it out there. And so, and then Stephen took the mic and he, and he shared a short message. It wasn't related to healing, but after, the, after his message, he just said, okay, now if, we're going to trust the Lord for words of knowledge and for healing. So he invited the members of the team to come forward with words of knowledge. And I kind of sat there thinking, sure, I'm all out of anything useful. I've just used up all of my stuff. And, and, I, and I really sat there thinking, yo, I don't even know if I should go forward. And, and Yvette went forward. Yvette had a word of knowledge that there were two ladies, and they both had wounds on their, in their legs. And so when she shared it, this is all via an interpreter. And, uh, and so when she shared it, two, two ladies, I saw them stick up their hands. Um, but you see, our, our team's motto was that we, we not... We don't celebrate results, we celebrate risk. So Yvette was like, no, no I'm going to take more risk. And she said, and it's more specific because she felt the Lord saying that it's, it's either a, a, like a dog bite wound or a, or a motorcycle accident. And so the same two ladies stick up their hands. So, and they went forward and, and, the, and the team, the girls started praying for them there. And as soon as it became apparent that something was happening, they were, they were getting healed everybody in the venue that had anything remotely wrong with them suddenly went forward. And, uh, and I was sitting with this like mini inferiority crisis happening because I'd used up all of my stuff that I felt God had given me for the day. And, and eventually, I just felt, you know, I've shared a little bit about, you know, the risk philosophy. I just thought, you know, you don't travel 11,000 kilometers to come and work on your forward defensive stroke. If you travel 11,000 kilometers, nobody knows. You may as well step up and take a big swing. And uh, so I decided to go forward, and uh, everybody was busy praying for somebody, but there was still, still a lot of people standing in the wings waiting, waiting for their turn. And I could just see that every, like every 30 seconds or every minute or so, you know, they'd be like cheering as somebody was healed again. I started praying for a guy, and he had chest pains. And I, and I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray, and God's going to heal you. So I, I boldly prayed this very simple prayer. I said, Jesus, thank you that you are the healer. I pray that you would come and heal this man's chest right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you. The interpreter says, no, nothing's changed. So I'm like, okay, don't worry. We'll just, we'll just pray again. 
And so I prayed again, and he's like, eh, maybe 10% better. And, and he's kind of like looking at everybody else getting healed and looking at me, thinking like, <laughs> come on, dude, make a plan. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so I started thinking, you know what? Healing is, has always been like this hit and miss thing for me. I've prayed for people and they've been healed, but I, afterwards I could never figure out why it worked this time, but not these times. And so I was, I was kind of going through those, you know, those lies that you typically, typically start believing in that situation. And luckily, I, I just had the good sense to, 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 say, to say to God, okay, God, show me what's happening here. And then as soon as I did that, God showed me a picture and I could like pray the picture, and it reminded me of a scripture or two, and I could pray the scripture and, and, and make some declarations over the person. And, and that, was, that was quite nice, because now all of a sudden I could follow the Holy Spirit, and I didn't have this like big gnawing question in the back of my mind, is this oak now getting healed or not today? And, uh, and so I followed the Holy Spirit through that, and when I'd finished... He basically, via the interpreter, explained how everything that I prayed for, the peace of God, the presence of God, everything in the order that I prayed for it, how he physically experienced it, and he was healed. And, uh, yeah. and, I, and, I, and God just, just showed me right there that, look, it, it doesn't matter if you think you have, might not have the gift of healing or the gift of faith to just pray for somebody off the bat and expect them to get healed. But what you, what, you, what you know and what you can do is you can see a picture and get a word for somebody. And, and so God just, it's like, that's where that, that diagram comes from. All that you need to do is to connect the person or the need with the middle of that circle, which is the presence of God. And it's, it's, not, about, it's not about the gift, it's about the giver. And... It's absolutely scriptural for some of us to feel more comfortable with some of, some of those manifestations than others. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that that, that that is a blockage to, uh, in terms of getting the person that you're praying for or the situation that you're praying into, into connected with the presence of God. And, uh, yeah, just in closing, there's, there's another portion of scripture where Jesus also speaks about lamps. It's, uh, it's interesting for many reasons, um, not, not the least of which the fact that almost all the translations insist on referring to these ten girls as virgins and, and strictly nothing else. Um, I was quite sure, surely there must be a, a normal English way to tell this story without having to talk about the five foolish virgins and the and the five wise ones. But I, I don't want to, and I couldn't find it, so, so we're going we're gonna to stick with that description. And, uh, and it's basically talking about a wedding, and they, it seems like maybe they were the bridesmaids, and the, and the groom was delayed, and they had these lamps with which they needed to welcome the groom. And the Bible says that five of them were wise, five were foolish. So five of them brought like a reserve of oil, with them, and then five of them didn't. So when the bridegroom was delayed, they all fell asleep. And later on, there was a there was a shout as as the bridegroom had now arrived. So they all woke up and trimmed their lamps. And those who didn't bring any reserve oil, 
they found that the, the oil was running out and their lamps were going to die before the, before the bridegroom came. Um, I'm busy paraphrasing. Let me read it to you. It might be better. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And in, in Scripture, they, they, when it speaks about oil, it's always talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit and, 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 and God's presence. And, and what, the, what the story just speaks about is that what is, what is going to sustain us, each one of us, in the, in the last days is, is our unique and personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not, a, it's not generic oil so that they could just, you know, pull all of their, you know, little canisters and, and ration it among all of them because Rion's oil is not going to help me. His relationship with the Holy Spirit is not my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Each one of us has a unique way of relating to the Holy Spirit and we have a unique way of, of radiating forth his light. So, like we said in the, in the beginning of, of this message, that this world and this country needs each one of us. Because nobody, nobody is quite going to hit you know, that, that frequency of light and that shade or um, tint of light that, that you're going to hit. So, I really want to... I really want to encourage you, don't despise your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit and think that it is inferior to anybody else's. Maybe, maybe you come to church week after week and you, and you see a lot of people sharing a lot of amazing testimonies and they talk about, about hearing God's word and, and all these things and you, and you listen to it and you, and you kind of feel ashamed of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I, I just want to say to you that this, this morning, you know, if, if anything, if this morning is just for you, just to, just to get that message and just, just for God to, to set you free from those walls of fear that keep you from actually em- embracing and celebrating your personal and unique relationship with the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the, one of the things that... That I, that I also shared during our time in Nepal was, was how I always used to read the stories in the Bible that there's some of them that just don't seem to make any sense. They're just fantastic and you don't know why. Like, for example, you know, the Apostle Paul and his handkerchiefs that would heal people or Peter with his shadow. And, uh, and another one that I'd forgotten about, but it came to my sort of attention again recently, was, was just how Elisha, when he, when he died, they buried him in a, a tomb. I, I can't quite figure out what kind of tomb it was, but a couple of years later, they were burying another dead man, and they, they dug a hole. And as they were about to bury him, a, a bunch of robbers or, or raiders came, came out of the bush, and everybody got a fright and ran away. So they dropped this dead body into the hole where it 
came into contact with some of Elisha's bones, and he came back to life. Stood up in the grave. Can't imagine what he must have thought waking up in a grave. But I, I used to read that story and just think, wow, that's fantastic. No idea what to do with it. But, um, but I believe what, what God is actually saying to us is that what Elisha and Paul and Peter, all those great men of faith, what they actually demonstrated was, was a life that was completely saturated with the presence of God. And we, we've all heard about, for example, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm, I'm starting to, to believe and see how we can think of the baptism as an end in itself. But it's not. Because the baptism is, is, when, is when God immerses us in His Spirit. But what needs to follow then is, is that every day after that must, must, must come a, a process whereby we actually walk and learn to walk closer and closer with Him so that He can actually begin to permeate us. Because it's fine for us to be immersed, but if, but if, it, but if we're not a, a piece of cloth that, uh, that is receptive to that dye, that, uh, that spirit and the presence of God that, that has the capacity to change us, if, it, if we're not receptive and we don't nurture that relationship, then it limits his ability to actually change us.